Amen. God is good, hey? Team, thank you. You're good. It's good to be with you this evening. How's everyone doing? Really good. Oh, yeah. God is good, hey? Just been feeling like God is really highlighting things for me personally and for us as a community um, in the last while. And I feel, I feel so challenged, and I just also want to encourage us that God has amazing uh, things for us as a community. Um, so just before I begin, I just say, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would um, be with us in our midst tangibly this evening. I uh, want you minister to our hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, won't you be present? We just um, we open our, our eyes and our hearts and our hands to you, and we just pray that you speak and you move in power. Lord, I pray that you do what only you can do, which is change our hearts and ignite a fire deep inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been thinking so much about, you know, obviously what's happening in our, in our culture, in our, wor- in our world, and I've, I've been feeling like God is highlighting two things to me personally, and I've mentioned them before, but I really do feel like God is reminding me of what it means to live a simple, trusting life with Him. I don't know about you uh, or what your uh, situation is, but I feel so um, encouraged and so um, deep in my soul, like a yearning for intimacy and nearness to God. It's been like this thing that's been going on in my life for a while now, but in this last week, I just feel such a tremendous burden uh, to push into God. And I just want to encourage us this evening. There's a few verses I want to speak about, and then I'm going to let Mike take on from there. But uh, the first one, and I've talked about this before, but it's in Psalms, um, Psalms 127, and it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And it is in vain for you to rise early and to retire late, to eat the bread of anxious labors, for he gives blessings to his beloved, even in his sleep. And I'm a, I'm a business owner. Um, I'm married to a girl whose parents were business owners. My parents were business owners. And we are all very familiar with hard work. Does anyone here run a business or you have a job that requires a lot of effort from you? Anyone? No one. I'm the only one. Cool. Great. Um, Well, let me just tell you, business is hard work. And the danger in my life was that I was getting very accustomed to working extremely hard all the time. I can think of many times where I worked all-nighters, and I would justify it quite simply in the fact that business was hard work. Has anyone ever been there, or am I alone? Anyway, so all of a sudden, we've had this moment in time where we've come to a screeching halt. People are collecting government money. We're able to sit back. Things are taken care of. And it creates this weird complacency inside of us that God is not, that God is not too interested in us as Christians living in for a long time. <laughs> Amen? But I was just thinking about this thing that I lived with a mindset that I could almost contribute all the successes in my life to something that I had done. And I feel so challenged in this time is that we as Christians, God has called us to not live in a space where we can contribute all of our successes to something we've done. 
I really feel that God wants to remind us that he needs us as believers to put ourselves in a position where we can live with space in our lives for his mystery and his provision. I was reading this this, um, passage in Haggai 1. And it says this in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet through Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel, uh, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not come that the Lord's house, the temple, shall be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying this, Is it time for you yourselves to live in your expensive paneled houses while this house of the Lord lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not have enough to be intoxicated. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns wages earns them just to put them in a bag with holes in it, because God has withheld his blessing. Heavy. But I'm going to resolve. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. Go up to the hill country, bring lumber, and rebuild my house, which is the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord, accepting it as, a, as done for my glory. You look for much harvest, but it comes to little. And even when you bring that home, I blow it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies in ruins. While each of you runs to his own house, eager to enjoy it, therefore because of you, that is, your sin and disobedience, the heavens withhold the dew and the earth withhold its produce. I called for a drought on the land and the, and the hill country, on the grain and on the new wine and on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? But I was reading this and thinking how, um, how this sounds for our culture right now. There was something in this. It says, you're very quick to run to your home and enjoy it. How many people have found it very enjoyable to run to your home and enjoy it lately? Anyone? And how many of you have found it harder and harder and harder to get out of your home? Yes? Yes and no? But you know what I've found is that in this process of things becoming harder and harder to get out of my home, it requires more and more intention on my part to not only connect with God, but also to connect with others. And so we're sitting here today, and I want to just say thank you for being a part of this community this evening. Um, God is calling each and every one of us deeper, and he has called you deeper, not just with him, but also in community. I think what I, when I'm reading this passage, what I can see here is there's something going on where people have become, uh, it looks like people have become so inward focused on themselves, on their own lives, that they've totally neglected the temple of God. And I, what I felt in this for us is uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he says this, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And what I felt from God is this, is that God is reminding us that while we can focus our energies on building our homes, on building our appearance, on building all these things, he's reminding us that he wants us to tend the temple of who we are as human beings on the inside. He's calling us back into that secret place. He's calling us into a spot where we can encounter him. 
The psalm says, unless God builds, unless God guards. There's this amazing passage in Matthew 16. We know the story so well. It's the story where um, uh, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, who uh, do men say that I am? Who, tell me, tell me, what, what, what's the word on the street? And we know how it goes and it, and it winds up where they all speculate about this and that. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter uh, gets up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in verse uh, 24, it says this. Um, and I'm gonna, and I'll go back as to why it says this. But then Jesus says to his disciples, "If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul?" It's amazing, this passage. You know, we often hear this passage and we think it's a heavy and he's like, you can't follow me unless you die. You lay it all down. It almost makes God sound like he is just trying to take advantage of us. Has anyone ever heard it preached like that? Where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, get, I don't want to take part in this. But what's interesting about this passage is they've had this interaction. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Who do men say they am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You know, and on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail. And then he basically says that, the, that he has to suffer many things even unto death. And the same Peter who said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, a.k.a. you are my savior. You are my Lord. And then in the next breath, Peter said, far be it from you that that would happen. It's interesting to me is that Peter seemed very quick to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ was the king, he was the savior, he was the Lord, he was the Messiah. And yet the second Jesus shared something that didn't fit his paradigm, he rebuked Jesus. And Jesus follows that up by saying this thing. That if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up your own way. You see, for most of us sitting in this room, we absolutely believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and even our Lord. But some of us can leave it at salvation. And God is reminding us that he is calling us into huge things where we are now. The Bible tells us that he has determined the times and the places in which we live And I believe that you're here right now for a specific purpose. I had this amazing opportunity as a young man. I was thinking back, you know, like when I talk with my wife about, about, you know, our history and, you know, what things have we gone through in our lives. And I had the very fortunate um, upbringing of being around uh, churches that were incredibly uh, passionate about God and His power and His presence, and I, I was just thinking about what were the, what are my chances as a Christ follower now, growing up the way that I grew up, and how much more do I want my kids to experience that? I remember growing up in this West Indian church, and it was a wild church. You know, there was dancing, there was singing, there was 
um, people would be, would be crying out to God, they would be speaking in tongues, they would be, uh, miracles would take place, um, just tremendous things would be happening. People would be set free from demonic oppression, you know, with shrieks, and there was lots of manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, lots of manifestation of Jesus as King, as Lord. And I remember, um, that was part of my, that was when I was super young, and then I remember uh, the church that my parents ended up leading. I remember this, um, this one evening where we were, uh, this, we had a guest speaker in it. We're all, we're worshiping God, we're praying, and they set up, you know, this sort of like a fire tunnel, if you will. Basically, it was two rows of people who were just praying, and people were walking through, and, and people were praying for them. And, and if God was saying a word to them, they would tell that person this kind of thing. And people were getting ministered to. And this one, this one guy came through that we were totally unfamiliar with. I'd never seen him before. And he came through. And as people were praying for him, praying for him, praying for him, at the very end, one of the guys put his hand out to put on his head and pray for him. And the guy literally just whipped back like Matrix style. Um, like that. Flash, boom! And came up like this. And I remember thinking, like, what just happened? You know, I was probably 12 years old, something like this. And then all of a sudden, and I, I'm going to share this graphically because I, I, just to, as, a, as a reference, all of a sudden this man started to swear and yell and he started to foam at the mouth. I'm, I'm talking like I'm a 12-year-old man, guy, boy, boy, processing what's going on here. And immediately some of, the, some of the leaders in the church just, it was like they were so familiar with what was going on. They stood up and they just began to rebuke the spirit in Jesus' name and just began to lay hands on this guy. And I literally watched this guy who was under, he was so clearly not in control of his body. And he was swinging punches at these guys. And, and um, the guy who was leading our youth group, he was just commanding the spirit to release him. The guy was trying to punch him and it was like he was hitting a brick wall and he couldn't hit him. And I was thinking back on this and I was thinking... Because at, the, at, at an equip, two years ago, I was sitting with my daughter, Mila, and I was just thinking, you know, for me, I can get so stuck in just being a parent of just like, oh, let's just make my kid good. Let's make my kid good. And I just felt God saying, no, you're called to raise your kids to be spiritual. And I was so thankful that I raised up around, that I was raised around spiritual people who understood that there was a different realm at play than just us sitting in pews, sitting in services, singing songs, doing these kinds of things. We're living in a world where there are real powers at work, and God has called us to stand up as Christ followers and to release his kingdom here on earth. Because here's the thing when the kingdom invades our lives, opposite things happen. I was thinking about this. Jesus, like in the Old Testament, um, they were instructing, you know, Moses, Elijah, they, they prayed for people who were like lepers, leprosy, super contagious. And they would pray for them from a distance. Why? Because you were instructed, don't touch a leper. Why? Because you'll get leprosy. And then Jesus releases the kingdom. And what does he do? He touches the leper. And what happens? The exact opposite. The leper becomes whole. I was thinking even with us, we're living in a culture where everyone's freaked out about COVID. Wear a mask, stay away, do these things. I'm waiting for fiery Christians to say, if you touch me with COVID, you will be healed. Is that a crazy thought? I was thinking about as a teenager... 
In the church that we were in, God moved in power. I was thinking about all these things that marked me. You know, we read the stories and all these things, and I remember being in a youth group where God began to move in our youth group, and it was the most beautiful thing. You know, we had this 150 kids in a group. It underwent some shaking. We lost a lot of people, and then God started to work out some stuff in our lives deeply. And we are, you know, 12, 13, 14, up to about 18, 20 years old. And God just started to, like, minister to us. He started to remind us of who we were. He started to speak into our identity. We would come together. My brother would come with his guitar, and we would just start to worship God together. We would scatter in a gym like this and just start to praise God and worship God. Often my brother, who was a, a catalyst of this, he would, he would just say, I've got one song, and we're going to just play, and we're going to see how it goes. And then God would just begin to minister through him like this. Boom, boom, boom. We started to go so deep in the spirit that, that people were getting set free from like serious things in their lives. Healing was taking place. I remember we were in this, in this room praying and, and, and worshiping God. And these three guys who were just too cool for school that their parents kind of came to the church, but whatever they, you know, they were interested in maybe one of the girls or something. And they kind of came in the foyer. And um, we had just started closing up the meeting. And... Um, they go, like, what do you guys, what's so funny? Because some guys were, like, laughing and all these things. And my brother came out, and they said, what's so funny? He said, I'll tell you what's funny. In Jesus' name, and he put his hands on the guy's stomach, and the guy who's not a Christian buckled over on the ground in hysterics. He could not figure out what was going on. There was this other incredibly beautiful thing that happened. I had a friend, her name was Alicia, and, and she was not a dancer or anything like that. But what God started to do in her life, while we were worshiping God, it was in a dark room, we had lots of chairs set up, is she would just start dancing before God. She would just start dancing. And her eyes would be closed, and it was like supernatural. She would just be weaving through the chairs, she'd be going through the hallway, her eyes closed, twirling and doing all these things. And we would just stand and we would just watch her because we couldn't figure out, God, what are you doing here? What is going on? And I just feel in God that he was reminding me he's calling us back to the radical edge. You know, the enemy has a way of using uncertainty to kind of isolate us and draw us away. But God uses, us to draw, God uses it to draw us in. And I was just have this sense that God is going to blow through each and every one of us in a mighty way. Are you hungry for God? I don't have a plan. But I think if you're hungry for God, why don't you stand up? Think about this verse in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He had a really good job. He had a good job till someone tried to, tried to poison the king. But when his people came, God put a burden on him. And it was a burden enough that he walked away from all the things that he had built.
says, he, he says, I told no man what God had put in my heart to do. Holy Spirit, won't you come? Holy Spirit, won't you breathe through us right now? God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you that you draw us in. while we're standing here I just want to read a story from the account of someone whose name was John G. Lake who's a man who saw incredible miracles and signs and wonders it says this Musicians talk of an ultimate note. That is a note you will not find on any keyboards. It is a peculiar note. A man sits down to tune a piano or any fine instrument. He has no guide to the proper key, and yet he has a guide. That guide is the note that he has in his soul. And the nearer he can bring his instrument into harmony with that note in his soul, the nearer perfection he has attained. There is an ultimate note in the heart of the Christian. It is the note of conscious victory through Christ Jesus. The nearer our life is tuned to that note of conscious victory, the greater the victory that will be evidenced in our life. In my ministry in South Africa, there was a young lady, one of the most beautiful souls I have ever known. She was baptized in the Spirit when perhaps only 17 or 18 years old. One of the most remarkable developments in her after her baptism in the Spirit was that the Spirit of God would come powerfully upon her on occasions, and at such times, she would sit down at the piano and translate the music her soul heard. Other times, the Spirit would come upon her so powerfully that she would be caused to sing the heavenly music in some angelic language. God gave her the gift of interpretation so that quite frequently, when the Spirit would come upon her, she would re-sing the song in English or Dutch, as the case might be. Her father and mother were both musicians, and they soon learned that when the Spirit thus came upon her, they could record the music. And the father would stand at one side and take the words of the song as she sang them, while the mother stood at the other side and recorded the music as she played the music on the instrument. And in this way, a great deal of the music was preserved. Some, year, some years later, Clara Butts, 
the great prima donna, came to South Africa. She was singing at the Wanderers Hall in Johannesburg. And one evening after the concert, while being entertained at the hotel, I was introduced to her, and she said to me, Mr. Lake, I have been very anxious to meet you, for I have heard that among your people is a remarkable woman who receives music in the spirit, apparently of a different realm than ours. I said, yes, that is a fact. And she inquired, would it be possible to meet her? And so a meeting was arranged. And one evening, we went to her hotel. And as we sat down, Clara said to the young lady, I wish you would sit down and play some music I have heard about. Because she didn't understand that such music only came at times as the spirit came powerfully upon the woman. However, the young lady sat down at the piano. And I said to the company, let us bow our heads in prayer. As we did and waited, presently the Spirit of God descended upon her. And then there poured through her soul some of that wondrous, beautiful, heavenly music. I waited to note the effect on the company. And when the song was finished, I looked especially at Clara, who was weeping silently. And she arose to her feet, and coming forward to the piano, she reached out her hands, saying, Young lady, that music belongs to a world that my soul knows little about. I pray every day of my life, God may permit me to enter. He goes on to say, there is a Christianity that has that high note in it. Christianity in itself, real Christianity, is in that high note of God. That thing of heaven that is not of earth and is not natural. It is more than natural. It is the note of heaven. And it comes to the earth. It fills the soul of man. And man's soul rises into heaven to touch God. And in touching God receives that glorified expression and experience in his own soul. And it is reproduced in his own life and nature. team up for a while. One of the things I know about the enemy is that he is not afraid of a powerless church. When we try and flesh out our battles, we always lose. But when we come in and through the power of the Spirit, he is no match. And in many ways, through traditions of man and that, the, the Holy Spirit has been quenched. Often when Jesus did things like driving out demons and things like that, and um, he'd be accused of being the son of 
Behelzebub, the devil. For working in the supernatural. And I just want to set some hearts at rest. Before I do that little story, in South Africa, um, in, the, in the early 2000s, um, Deborah and I were in a meeting. It was an apostolic meeting, about 5,000 leaders from around the world. And we were part of that. And in the worship, there was such incredible unity in that place. God began to move, and Tyron's dad, who heads up our team now, Dudley Daniel, was leading the service, and the worship was just overwhelming, and all of a sudden, an incredible silence came over the people, just went like that, and it went on for, I don't know how long, but now silence can be awkward, and people were trying to come up and bring a word and do things, and Dudley said, wait, wait, wait. For I don't know how long, it seemed a long time. And then all of a sudden, the heavens open. And Deborah and I witnesses, angels begin to sing in that place. Like opened us to another dimension. And you see people were looking all over this huge 5,000 place. Just in awe of these most beautiful, beautiful voices that we've never heard before. And see, when we make space for God, He moves. And there's big, a lot of fear. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the devil? And I want to assure you, through Luke 11, Jesus speaking, and this is what He says here in the context of the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, Luke 11, 9, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and ever he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which one of you fathers, and this is the key. If your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead. Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, this is the amazing thing. He says, no, he doesn't say how much more will the Father give you good gifts. The context is God will not give you a counterfeit because he says, how much will, will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, when we're asking and seeking God and He begins to move, many will say it could be of the devil or of this. But our Father, through His Son, is assuring us that He will not give us something that will harm us. And it's when we yield to the Holy Spirit, like in times like this, that He begins to move. And in Acts 2, we see the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on on the disciples, uh, the 120, and the church is birthed in power. And Peter stands up and he says, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Remember, at salvation, we are born of the Spirit. We have the indwelling Spirit. 
And as we are baptized in the Spirit, it comes upon us for power, power to witness, power to walk in, in, in the ways of God and so on. And, um, and if Peter said in Acts 2, because many will say that the Holy Spirit is not for today. It was a, there was a dispensation in the book of Acts when that was um, appropriate, and it stopped one day. But Peter says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your, your young men will dream dreams, and your old men will prophesy, and so on, and, and I'll do mighty signs, wonders, and miracles. And if Peter was in the last days 2,000 years ago, surely we are closer to that time. And I cannot understand why people would believe when we need the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and the anointing uh, to work in and through power in our lives, why the Father would give or take away this good gift. So I want you to rest in that. If I ask my Father for something, He's not going to give me the opposite. And I don't know why I'm saying that because, but except this, that I know many people are afraid. Is this God or isn't it? We're not afraid about our salvation. We accept that by faith, that Jesus died for us. I've never seen my name written in the Lamb's book of life, but by faith I believe it is there because I'm a child of God. And by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. God is wanting to pour out His Spirit upon us afresh. I believe that in this place. I've uh, been speaking this to the, our leaders and elders for months and months and months of just sensing this building. And, and if you came in this evening, you can see it's just amazing when we make space for the Holy Spirit, how He comes. And so in this last time, as we just finish with a, a time of worship, if, if um, you'd like to position yourself to receive, to stand, or where you are as we worship God, I'm just going to pray for us, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We ask your Holy Spirit to come. to rain down upon us. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. That we will receive power, power to witness, power to love people, power to see people healed and set free.